Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. So that was a major shift in my life to prioritize my daughter's health over all else, because at at that point, nothing else really mattered. And I wanted to be in control of our own destiny. You know, when you're attached to a brand that you have no control over, it becomes really tough. I I wanted to be in control of our brand and our message and where we were going. It's like, dude, you got to leave your ego. You got to check your ego and let's, let's do what's best for the overall business. And, and, And that's a good, valuable lesson for anybody, right? When you start a company out of not spite, but when you have someone else, you're kind of looking at and saying, Hey, I'm going to show you. It's like, Hey man, you gotta stay focused on what you, you know, yourself, because there's always going to be other guys out there. Our business would be nothing if it wasn't for our entire team. I think people say that, but I really mean it. I want to start doing a better job, setting realistic expectations for our team and celebrating them more. The idea for me has always been, I want to do what I love for a living and provide that opportunity to as many people as possible. As we start to provide that opportunity to as many people as possible, you then grow your membership base, which then creates more value for them. And then over time with that greater audience, you could go do good shit. I mean, I I look at you, I remember you when you won the CrossFit games in 2008 and just, let's just call it for lack of a better term, like the CrossFit culture men coming out of that are fucking masculine yeah high achievers yeah definitely right and so i think i think that resonates with you and uh what i've seen along the way heard um and obviously we talked about it a little bit but with your book you had a moment where you started to see that that old program of go 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 achieve what's the next mountaintop What's the next PR? Fuck. Like that, that was, that was part of my shift as well. Like for me, I wasn't, I was competing in CrossFit. I was, I was training, trying to hit new PRs and fill in the blank. Right. But for what end? Like I wasn't going to the CrossFit games. You were, you were training, you were working out to get better at working out. And, you know, at some point you got to realize like, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And at the time for me, I was trying to work out to be the fittest on earth to win this competition. That was important to me. Um, And there's money in that. There's there's money and there's fame and there's sponsorship, all that stuff. But then at some point, right, you got to make pivots and shifts. And you look back and I think people like sometimes, I don't know, man, like for, for me over the years, like I've had some amazing times competing in CrossFit. I, I really have. And I've had a great time helping to build a business that's that's where it is today. Um, and everything that we've done in the back has kind of laid the framework for where we're at today. You know, it's just one of those things where, oh, the the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I was going to say, just, we'll just turn that down a little bit. Just Dude, to- the Beastie Boys was rocking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think sometimes when you look back, you know, it wasn't like, I could say, oh man, those were great times, but there's a lot of great times ahead. And there's these things that help you evolve and grow and you need to shift and make, and make changes as a adult, as you get older, right? You're not going to be the same person at 20 as you are in 30, 40, fifties. And that's a tough uh, realization for some people. Right. And, and for me, sometimes it struck me hard, but like, it's okay to not be crushing yourself in work or it's okay that you're not maybe the same athlete you were, but now you're, you're focused in other areas. And 
that, that like being okay with that and knowing that you have to evolve and grow and shift has been something that I've been working on for the last, you know, couple of years. Yeah. And I think even that applies to business. Oh yeah, for sure. We can always be chasing more dollars, more, uh, creating more businesses in, in, there is a season in life for that, you know, to create that wealth, but at a certain point, and unfortunately, I don't think enough people wake up to this. And I'm talking about people who've created wealth, like real wealth, and aren't worrying about getting, you know, kind of their their meet their needs met on a kind of daily basis. But being able to step outside of that and say, what do I want to create? How do I want to spend my time? Because that's what I mean. Again, it's 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 a bit of a cliche, but it's absolutely true that that is the resource time that we don't value enough. No, you can't get back. You can't. No. You know, and I wonder, right, just from a practical sense for, for people listening today, whether they're familiar with you uh, through CrossFit and, and all the success you've had there or not, again, you show up very masculine. What, was there, was there one moment where the, 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 the light switch flipped or did you find yourself just kind of changing the way you were moving through life? I mean, I think I've always been like kind of like a hard charger. And I, I still am today. It's just, um, your priorities shift over time and like you have a plate and you know, the plate starts to fill up with stuff, you know? And so for me, there was a point in my life where I was competing to try and be the fittest on earth, which is a very, uh, full-time gig kind of, at the time it was a full-time gig. Then you have your family. And at first, maybe it just starts with your wife or girlfriend, and then it grows to one kid, two kids. Well, that starts to get fuller on your plate. And then competing becomes fuller because it becomes more professionalized. And so you need to dedicate more time to it. And then as the business started to grow, that's where I started to realize, man, there's a lot of these things going on. My plate is getting fuller. I only have so much room. What am I going to do to prioritize my time? And for how long can I do this? And then eventually I had to pivot. So like for me, I was dedicating a lot of time to training, a lot of time to the family, a lot of time to the business, but I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out in a variety of areas. And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote that book, um, As Many Reps As Possible, is that I found myself, you know, like, like I'm here with you right now, but I wouldn't really be here with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here talking to you, but maybe I'd be thinking about walking on my hands later on, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> or, 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 or whatnot. And I wasn't being present and focused in anything I was doing. You know, in particular, the ones that really stand out to me for a while was I would be doing these conference calls with Asia. And I'm sure, you know, when you do business in, in Asia, like these calls are either early in the morning or late at night. And so traditionally I'd be like on the assault bike, taking these calls regularly because we were open up corporate wellness locations all over Asia. And I just remember telling myself so many times, like, did I do the best I could on that call? Or was I, did I do the best I could on the assault bike? Definitely not. But did I do the best I could on this call? And I just would leave there feeling like, man, I didn't really give it my all. Did I slip up? Did I say something wrong? Because I'd be in the middle of riding the bike and then I would unmute myself and be like, yes, I agree mute. And it just, it became this point where I was just trying to train and trying to grow the business and trying to train and then also trying to be a family man. And it was, it was a lot. And so my wife and I had to have conversations over time and I eventually pivoted to going on a team, which was a great step in the right direction towards taking this full plate and kind of shrinking down an area so I could prioritize the other areas of my life. And then my daughter got sick, which created this kind of reshift, refocus. Um, and, uh, I guess to your point, like 
woke me up on the importance of all these other things. I had to kind of slow down in some areas to kind of really prioritize her health. Yeah. And, and so that was really a pivotal moment oh. as I could imagine. And so just, could you just uh, share with everyone what, what happened yeah. with Ava? Yeah. So, so for me, um, I competed professionally in sport CrossFit in from 2008 till 2015. And I competed as an individual for seven of those years. And then as a team in the one year, and, and the team was really like this conversation, with my wife, every year we would have this conversation. So I never got into CrossFit games for money or fame. I got into it because I really wanted to push myself to test myself. And I always reminded myself of that because it was important to remember why did I start in the first place, right? Like, why did you start this podcast? And as the podcast gets more popular and it grows, there might be other uh, benefits, but why did you start in the first place? And mm. so for me, I never started it for money or fame. I started it again to see what I was capable of. As the money and fame came, it becomes kind of addicting, right? Especially when you're at, you know, competing at the high, you know, top level. And so my wife and I had to have regular conversations about what did that look like in the future? Well, the decision was made for me to retire from competing when Ava got sick. And so that was right before um, the 2016 CrossFit Games Open, which is like the qualification process to get to the CrossFit Games. And at that point, I probably would have gone team again for 2016. But when she got diagnosed in January with leukemia, it was like a instant boom. You know, that night I just wrote an email and this was like at two, 3 AM. And I talk about this a little bit in the book, but it's like, I just wrote this email. It was very, very specific. It was like, listen, this is the information we've been given effective immediately. This person's in charge of the company, our company, NC fit. I want this, this, this to happen. If it doesn't pertain to getting my daughter better, like, I don't really want to talk about it right now. This, my, my full focus and priority is here. If you have any, you know, and that was a, like a company wide, uh, you know, email, just letting everybody know, Hey, this is what's going on. This person's in charge. I got to go, right. I'm going to focus on this. And so that was a major shift in my life to prioritize my daughter's health over all else, because at, at that point, nothing else really mattered. Wow. And so how long did, um, I know she's been in recovery. Is mm -hmm. that what you would call it? Recovery? How do you, how yeah, do you, the, the, the word remission is kind of weird. Yeah. So, so the, the way that leukemia works in particular, and I, I didn't know this before she got diagnosed. This is so like, news to me. So yeah, I appreciate so, you yeah. sharing this. So there's a bunch of different types of cancers. And again, I, I when people say cancer, you just know it's bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you hear the word leukemia, like, oh, that, that sounds shitty. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't really know. And so uh, leukemia is, is a, um, is, it's a blood disease. It's a blood, it's a, it's a cancer, but it's, it's in the blood. And so it makes it a little bit more challenging because it also in, incorporates in your bone marrow. And whereas sometimes there's hard tumors, right? Like, um, there could be hard tumors. This is a blood cancer. So it's, it's, it's challenging because the, the, um, treatment process is very long. So what happens is when a child gets diagnosed or anybody for that matter, um, you get this really bad news, right? So um, a bunch of stuff led up to this, but long and short of it is we go to the ER and we get the news that she was diagnosed at like maybe one o'clock in the morning. And it was really heavy, really, really heavy. And so you get the news and the next day, they, the next day was, there was a few days in my life that had been the hardest. The next day was probably the hardest because what happens is they have to put your child to sleep for the first time. This is the first time I saw it. It ended up happening 30 more times. So you get to kind of, you at 30 times, you're kind of like yeah, numb to it. A little it. bit used to you. Yeah. But the first time you're like, oh dude. And so at that point they need to put her to sleep because they, what they do is they, they basically go into her bone marrow to analyze how bad 
um, the leukemia is actually in the bone marrow versus getting blood counts. So when they look at the blood, they can see different numbers, but then they go in the bone marrow. So the next day they put her to sleep, they test that. And based on those um, numbers, it gives you some type of like, is it A cell, B cell, is it ALL, AML? There's a lot of information you receive. And luckily Ava's was the most favorable if you had to get it. Um, but watching her get put to sleep for the first time was, was the toughest. Um, and so she is put to sleep, blah, blah, everything happens. And then we get these, um, over the next 29 days, there's just extensive amounts of chemotherapy. And what they do after 29 days is they then go back into the bone marrow and analyze it. And this day 29 is a big deal because based on how the body has responded to the chemotherapy signifies the next two and a half years of treatment. You're either going to be high risk or normal risk. And so luckily Ava at day 29 technically went into what they call a state of remission after 29 days, because you weren't able to visually see any of the leukemia cells in the blood, but everybody knew they're still there. So they treat you for the next two and a half years to ensure that it doesn't come back. So she's been in now a state of remission for a while. She finished treatment after two and a half years. She's three years out of treatment. In two more years, she's then considered cured. So it's a long treatment plan. Yeah. And boys are even longer because it comes back in their testicles. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Dude. Well, t- well t- what, what, like thinking back on, on that time, you know, as we were talking about before, I have, I have three kids. And, uh, you know, I've had different levels of really challenging experiences with their health. Yeah. And, uh, I know how that's felt this in particular. Um, I would say with the exception of the one time my wife and I thought our daughter hope who at the time was probably three, we thought she had gotten kidnapped from our house. Oh, which was in an intense feeling where I'm literally running outside to see if I like, we, she, long story short, my wife had come home from being out with some friends on a Friday night. I was down in the basement watching TV. She goes to say goodnight to the kids. Can't find hope. All of a sudden she's like, I can hear her running. And she's like, I can't find hope. Ooh, and terrifying, right? So I go up to the, her, her room was on the top floor. So I go up to the top floor and across from her room is a spare bedroom. The spare bedroom has a, a deck off it and a spiral staircase that goes down. And so there's, you know, there's a door there. We had one of those like uh, eye hooks at the top of the door to like for an extra security to keep that door locked. Right. Right. The door was open. It's fucking never been open. The door is wide open. And we had had painters working on the house within the last couple of weeks. So we go up there, I see that, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, someone took her. Right. So I run downstairs. I, I, you know, my instincts, I fucking run out front to like, look both ways. It's that night, like to see if I see anything, I'm not going to see anything, but like, I, you know, your body just takes over. I'm literally on the phone calling fucking nine one one. I think my daughter's been kidnapped. It's hard to talk about. How long was that? How long did it take? How long, how many minutes was this? This all happened in the span of a couple of minutes. Yeah. And I'm on the phone with the, with the 911 dispatcher. And then Peyton says, I found her. Oh, she had gone to our bed, fallen asleep there. And then 
went in our, she was in our bathroom, kind oh. of tucked away in our bathroom. Isn't it terrifying? I mean, it's like, he, oh my God, this happened to me. I, this, my kid got kidnapped. Right. I'm, I'm one of those parents. Dude. Yeah. I mean that, that feeling that like gut wrenching, I mean, I think any parent can kind of has had those moments in different perspectives, right? Like I don't know, maybe you're at the pool and something's going on and you're like, oh, and you like jump in and you think there's an issue or whatever. Maybe there's yeah. something, right? Um, yeah, no one ever wants to be put in that situation. And I don't ever wish that on anybody for any, you know, anything. It's just, it's really challenging. Well, and I, I guess my, my question in all that is, you know, when did that, you know, I was obviously in a state of, you know, uh, high, I don't know if it's high anxiety <laughs> or whatever it was, but for you, when, when did you start to breathe a little bit after, after the diagnosis, through the treatments, like when, mm. was there anything that allowed you to kind of be in acceptance of what was happening? I think we accepted it um, relatively early. We had a lot of family support. I mean, I could safely say that if, if someone was going to get this diagnosis, like, it sh I mean, if like it, it should have been, uh, that sounds weird, but like we were as prepared as you could get for this diagnosis. We had a team at NC fit that was very capable. We had family support. That was great. My wife and I have been together since we were 14. We have a, we have a strong relationship and we learned even more through this process, but we were ready to take it on, but that's not to say we, we enjoyed it at all. Yeah. Um, you know, you get in and, and I mean, there's just moments where your just heart just stops, you know, it just, it's just, you feel your stomach, uh, you know, you feel like you're going to throw up and it's just, it's, 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 it's terrifying. But after like a week, you know, so they let us out of the hospital after, so we left our house immediately. So we got news from our doctor that the blood work didn't look good. And they said, Hey, you need to go to the Stanford emergency room. Like immediately. It's not like a, Oh, can you get there when you can? It's like, no, you need to leave right now. So we literally left like within probably a minute of them calling us to say we needed to go, we were probably out of our house. Um, just because of the way the tone was, you could tell like, Hey man, this is, you need to go. And so we got there and we ended up not leaving for a couple of days, right? Because they're taking care of us and they're giving us chemo for like a week. And then once we got home, it was actually more terrifying to be at home than it was to be in the hospital at that point, because you felt like you didn't have the comfort of the doctors giving you providing guidance and whatnot. So we came home for like a day or two. And then for a variety of reasons, we ended up back in the hospital for a few months. And at that point we were back in the hospital for a few months after a couple of weeks, you kind of settle in. Right. Um, there's a variety of things. I mean, the doctors at Stanford are world-class. There's definitely some things we learned along the process. You have to advocate for your children. You have to be their number one spokesperson. And, um, I did a lot of research and reading, especially in the beginning. And some of those things were very helpful for us as we went through the process. Mm, were there, were there any times, uh, that were really challenging on your relationship with your wife? No, I mean, luckily for me, and again, this is such a blessing. My wife and I both reacted to it the same way. So we both try and be relatively positive people. We both try and attack things head on. And in this particular case, like you have no other option, but to be super strong. Like if you give in, if you don't have the right energy, if you don't have that positivity, if you, if you bring to the table that you will get that back. And so when you're in a hospital room for months on end with just you, your wife and your daughter, and we had a lot of family that came by, but they weren't there. We slept there every night. If you're not tight, Ava picks up on it. And so the energy has to be right. So that's why exercise is so important. Get out the room, go run a mile, whatever it is, come back, bring positive energy, really focus on what was in our control versus out of our control. Um, but yeah, Ashley and I, since the very beginning, 
I mean, she's a no nonsense, like, especially in this particular case, like there was no, no room for like, she was just boom, just very diligent about treating Ava, getting through this in a positive mindset. And we had date nights that were really helpful. And I, I really recommend this for anybody who's in a relationship is that after a while, especially when you've been with someone for quite some time, you, you stop to lose some of that like adult conversation, especially when you have kids, because you're always around the kids and it's about the kids, which it, which it should be, but you got to have time for your relationship too. And so once a week when we were in the hospital, or even sometimes more, we would go out and someone would stay with, with Ava, like my mom or whatever. And we would go to date night. And those were really important for our relationships because they allowed us to talk about something other than what was happening in the hospital and kind of be adults and have a couple of cocktails in the meantime. Mm. <laughs> so that was, that was important. Those cocktails help lube it up a little bit for sure. Oh, for sure, man. And, well, and you were saying, so <laughs> those bartenders yeah. got to know us pretty well. <laughs> yeah. what's, your, what's your drink of choice? Uh, there we would have, I mean, my wife really likes margaritas. So I like mezcal. Mm. So she'd get a skinny margarita. I'd get a skinny mar or I'd get a margarita with the mezcal. And man, sometimes they'd have, you know, the bartenders got to know us and they knew kind of our situation. And so they definitely treated us right. You know, they they, got, they knew when we came in, we probably had a tough day. And so they, they loaded us up for sure. That's awesome. Well, that's a great transition to, uh, to Cabo and, uh, yeah, Chileno Cabo. Bay. And, uh, if, if you're into Mezcal, I'm sure you've had some of Osvaldo's Mezcal drinks at Comal. Oh yeah. Yep. I did. I have. And he has this like, um, this like volcanic ash one that has, did you ever have that? Like it has ash around the rim and then it's like, it's like a maroon color. Did you have that one? Oh yes. Yeah. 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 So it has like a single cube and it's great. Yeah. I love Mezcal. Um, I'm still, you know, trying to get to know more and more about it. I'm supposed to go to Oaxaca at some point. Two of my favorite things come from there. Oaxaca cheese. Yeah. And, and Mezcal. <laughs> nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I was, I was telling Jason before we got on that we've been going down to Cabo for, for many years and we started going to the Chileno Bay resort, mm -hmm. uh, in the restaurant Comal, uh, be, before our place at Chileno Bay golf club opened up and the chef there, chef Yvonne is a very fit guy. And he saw that I was a fit guy. And so we started having these conversations like, Oh yeah, Jason Kalip is going to help us with the gym here. I'm like, Dude, that's so random. Like, I know who Jason is. I don't know him, but and so you you were telling me that you've been going down to Cabo for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for years. We um we've always enjoyed it. I actually proposed to my wife in Cabo. And uh so it's always kind of had that like, you know, sweet spot. And so we we would go down there, especially coming from California, super close, easy. So we would travel down there all the time. And I love the food, I love the people. It's it's great. The weather's amazing. The weather's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, and, and so not being able to go down there for a while, right? We were talking about this as well. COVID for you was a big wake up. And I think it was for a lot of people, if we chose to see it for, for, for my family, it was, um, for, for sure. We weren't traveling like you were. Um, but I'd love for you to share what pre COVID life looked like for you and your wife and your family. And, um, maybe the tension once you were grounded and, and how you worked through that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for us, you know, so Ava got sick for a while, we didn't travel. And then traveling has always been kind of a part of my wife's. She really loves to plan. She loves to go do stuff. It's, it's very important to her. So when Ava got sick, we didn't do much traveling for quite a while. So after she started getting better, we started traveling a lot. And 
Um, like we ended her treatment, for example, with like a world, we called it a world tour. We were on the road for six weeks. We went to Europe. We went to a bunch of different places. We really did it up to celebrate that end of treatment. But that goes to say that like almost every week I was traveling for work on top of that, almost every other week on average, at least, I mean, at least once or twice a month, we were traveling as a family somewhere and it just became like the norm was being gone instead of the norm being home. And so that was always the case for a while. And obviously, you know, it gets expensive, but it also just becomes kind of unsettling for the kids. I didn't quite realize it at the time. So when COVID hit, it's like, boom, it just shrunk, right? Like every, like there was no more travel. And so it really allowed us to kind of settle in, get more comfortable being at home and realize that like, let's just say you have your kid's birthday party and you think, oh, we should go to Cabo and go celebrate the birthday. All they really want is to have family and friends around and have a great time. They don't care if they're at Cabo. Yeah, it's cool. It's whatever, but they just care about the experience, right? Being at home and enjoying that with their family, especially at my kid's age of seven and 10. And that realization was really helpful for us because we wanted to create a home that was more like they felt more comfortable. They, they were happy there and they didn't always have to be going somewhere like we were. So, um, that was a big realization for us through COVID, which has been really helpful moving forward is that we're going to have, you know, a couple trips a year, really plan them, get the kids excited about them, but not make the norm be gone versus being the norm be home. So yeah, that so was you, one of the silver linings. And so you'll, you'll still travel for business. Yeah. Yeah. What does that look like? Right now it's not bad. I mean, so in 2011, 12, we, we launched a major relationship with a company called Western Digital and Western Digital has locations all over the world. And we implemented their fitness program. And so I traveled all throughout Asia, right? Singapore, Thailand, China, Malaysia, uh, you know, they have locations over there. So I would go to these locations, we would set up their gyms, then we would run their fitness center for them. We still do, right? And so I'd be gone a lot traveling that way. We started creating relationships down in Southern California. We were opening up gyms and because of all this or traveling for teaching or CrossFit or, or, or teaching seminars, or whatnot, it, it made me on the road a lot. Now I don't have to be, I realized I don't have to be doing those things. I could find ways to have other people do it, or it was just something I thought we needed to do. We really didn't need to do it. Uh, and did COVID help that like yeah. being able to see, I think a lot of people woke up to, Oh, I can do this as a zoom call or. Yeah. It made it okay not to travel out. You know, uh, it, it's like, Hey, you know, uh, in, in hindsight, maybe like with the Asia thing, like, you know, you kind of got to go meet these coaches face to face. There's still a lot of value there, but it didn't have to be the norm. Like, I think you could try and stick with zoom. And if that doesn't feel like it's creating the right relationship, then you go to step B versus, Hey, step A is I'm traveling out. Now it's like, there's another option that's in place and it's not unnormal. And so the coaches are local coaches that you're going to kind of, you train them into your kind of fitness program yeah, ideology. That's right. And so, it, and that's been a really cool experience too, getting to know these different cultures, how they do business, their food, their whatever. But um, yeah, like take, for example, Japan or Malaysia or China, we would then identify some local talent. So you have to go out there. First off, you would just put out like a social media post, say, Hey, we're going to be out here. Um, if you're interested, send us your resume. And then we would maybe start the interview process. We would then meet with people. At that point, we would then send a US-based coach to these areas for like a month or two to train up the staff as we opened the location. And we did that for a while. Gotcha. And are you, are you still involved with CrossFit? Not really. Um, you know, I still, I, I, I love it. I, I pay a lot of homage to it. It provided mm -hmm. 
more, it provided me more than I could possibly explain. And I was as deep as you can get into it for a really long time. <laughs> um, over time, um, the former CEO and myself just kind of didn't see eye to eye on a few things. And um, we rebranded from NorCal CrossFit NC Fit primarily because we weren't only offering CrossFit anymore. We had a variety of programs. We were doing corporate wellness. We had a variety of different things. And I wanted to be in control of our own destiny. You know, when you're attached to a brand that you have no control over, it becomes really tough. I, I wanted to be in control of our brand and our message and where we were going. And we weren't only offering CrossFit. And so those were our main reasons to rebrand and kind of just be on our own path. And I think any, you know, I think even CrossFit would say that they'd say, Hey, like we want to be in control of our destiny and, and that's the way business ownership. That's how you they know? crushed it. They were, they were, yeah, they were in control of that. That, that had to have been hard. I could imagine someone, an icon in the CrossFit world saying, yeah, we're going to rebrand. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of people don't know the full background, obviously. And, and I, I, I try not to go too, too in depth, but at a high level, I did everything in my power. I really feel this way to have great collaborative conversations with at the time of leadership. And we just, we, we, we didn't see things necessarily eye to eye and that's okay. Right. Yes. They, they it's okay. They don't have to align with where I wanted to go and I don't have to align where they want to go. But at some point, if you're paying affiliation fee or if you're connected, there needs to be some type of value being transferred for this payment you're making and attaching to your brand. And I, we no longer saw that as a vision for our company for the future. Now CrossFit is under new ownership, new leadership. So it's a little bit different now, but at the time, those are the decisions we made. And what's it like now? Um, I've been out of it for you know, I, I never owned a gym or anything, but I was, I was, I would say balls deep in it for five, six yeah. years and uh, was really keeping up with the, you know, what was going on, but has the new ownership created some, some real value for the affiliates? I think they want to, I think they, I think their heart, I, I think their heart and their mindset is in the right place. I do. They just have a really big ship to move and it's going to take them a long time gotcha. because they have a lot of relationships to repair a lot. And I think that they know that I think they're aware of it, but they're just, uh, they, they have a lot of work to do. Gotcha. But they're on the, I, I think they're moving on the right track. Okay. So I didn't mention this to you, uh, before we get on, but so I owned a, uh, OPT, you know, James yeah. Fitzgerald and I owned the Phoenix rise together in, oh my the, in the grid league. Did you ever think about doing that? You know, the grid league came and went real quick, but when it first came out, I did get presented with, um, an offer. Of to course you did. I mean, that, that goes without question. And I, um, I chose, it wasn't for me, um, primarily just because of the time commitment and, and also there was some, it, it definitely seemed like if you went that route, then you're kind of going against CrossFit. And at the time, oh yeah, I was so in, 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 in that that wasn't something I was interested in doing. Yeah. So I guess uh, let me reframe that if there had not been a CrossFit, Right. Yeah. Uh, or they gave full blessing to do it. Right. I mean, it, it looked fucking fun, didn't it? it? It looked fun. It was cool. It was, I think they, from the get go though, grid league tried to be too big, too fast. They should just <laughs> calm down. Yes. Right. You don't need to go rent out Madison square garden, uh, right. Start in some local gym and let's work our way up in, um, minimizing expenses, optimizing opportunity. It, it just, it, it could have been done a totally different way and who knows what would have happened. But, um, from the get-go, um, I remember the, the big moment for me is we sent some staff out to the Grig League meeting about information and the feedback, they provided me notes and feedback because 
I didn't go because I didn't want to kind of Hell be there. No, but I sent some of our team there. Yeah. Nice. And I remember asking, Hey, who's in the room? What's going on? And the amount of money that someone needed to make this grid league successful was so extravagant, right? That I, I, I was worried that some of the teams out there didn't have that cash flow to back them for the next year or two years to get this thing off the ground. That was one of my big concerns. And it turns out that that was probably one of the big reasons that there was too much money spent and not enough deep pockets to keep it going that way for long enough to build the traction you need to generate the revenue. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, we could have used that advice before we uh, started, but that that's exactly what happened. It yeah. was, um, it was too big a spend and not enough money raised. And so you kind of just, you know, the league itself ran out of money. The teams were fine with the exception of one team kind of stopped paying, but the teams were, were okay. But the, the problem was, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but I was deep in it for the three years that, that it was uh, running. Tony, uh, with all his great, I mean, fucking created a great product, but I think he was too focused on sticking it to CrossFit. Yep. Yep. And wanted to go bigger and better and look at what we're going to do. I think that's a really good business lesson from an outside perspective, right? If you knew Tony, right? I knew Tony really well. Yeah. And if you knew how things went with CrossFit and if you watched the way that he executed on the grid league, you could see there was a big part of that. Like, Hey, I want to go real big. I want to show these guys. It's like, dude, you got to leave your ego. You got to check your ego and let's, let's do what's best for the overall business. And we will eventually, or he will eventually get to where he wants to be you're not going to start off like, and, and that's a good valuable lesson for anybody, right? When you start a company out of not spite, but at, when you have someone else, you're kind of looking at and saying, Hey, I'm going to show you. It's like, Hey man, you got to stay focused on what you, you know, yourself. Cause there's always going to be other guys out there. Yeah. I think that's a great point. When we let the ego really lead the way, I mean, we need an ego to, to kind of do the work we're going to do. But when we let that, you know, it's like what comes to mind is when someone says, well, I did this because someone didn't believe in me and I was going to prove them wrong. It's like, that's the fucking wrong Worse. energy. Dude, so I was, I, um, on a regular basis, I give um, talks to San Clay University. That's, I'm an alumni of there and I help their entrepreneurship program because I, I opened our business right out of college. And so I feel like I could be moderately relatable to these kids because I opened it literally right out of college. And this one guy gets on, he's like, hey, you know, I was a member of this gym and this, the manager was a total jerk. And so I'm, I'm going to take his entire staff and go open up a business down here. And just, he was basically sharing that his entire like motivation was to take this guy's team and to make his business not successful because he's a jerk. And I'm like, <laughs> bro, I'm like, bro, like, dude, you, that's not a good reason to go start a business is to do it in spite regardless of like the karma and just not being a good human being, that's just not a good business sense, right? Because you're always going to be saying, I'm making my best, my next business decision based on how do I screw him versus how do I place myself in the most advantageous position and grow our business, you know? Yes. And so I had to tell him this and- uh, How did he receive it? He received it, you know, the way that, you know, a 21 year old kid would receive it. Like, yeah, yeah I hear you, but, but- <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, you, you do you bro. All well, good. And I love that you use the word motivation because that's something that comes from an external force, right? So I'm motivated to, to fuck this guy basically yep. versus I'm inspired to create a business 
and bring on amazing coaches and create a space where people can come and have life-changing experiences. 100%. And when you lean on something that's really powerful like that, like when we started our company, when I started the company, it yeah, was, what, 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 what was that spark for you? For, so for me, I used to sell gym memberships when I was in college and I got pretty good. at. I was making good money selling gym memberships while I was going to school, but I always felt like we were selling a bag of goods and never giving up. Like, it'd be like, if you said to me, you know, Hey, pay me 19 bucks a month and you're going to get in great, or you're going to get in great shape. And we never, they paid their 19. I never provided the opportunity for them to get in great shape. Yes, I opened the gym, but we didn't give them the tools to be successful. And so it was really hard. I know it sounds like fluffy, but it was hard on me, like emotionally, because I felt like I was selling a bag of goods and not backing it up. And that pissed me off. Um, And so I knew that for the rest of my life, I wanted to be in sales and entrepreneurship because I liked being in control of my own destiny. And the more I worked, the better I would, more financially I would be able to achieve. But I was having a really hard time grasping how opening a conventional model gym was going to be in alignment with what I wanted to do from that perspective. So when I found CrossFit in early 2006, it laid the framework for me then opening the gym as a CrossFit gym in 2008 with a coach and a community and a way to actually guide people through to get them results. And then over time, the idea for me has always been, I want to do what I love for a living and provide that opportunity to as many people as possible. As we start to provide that opportunity as many people as possible, you then grow your membership base, which then creates more value for them. And then over time with that greater audience, you could go do good shit. That's the theory. So how do I grow from one employee to hundreds? How do I then impact from hundreds of members to thousands to hundreds of thousands? Then how do you take that audience and go do good stuff like blood drives, donations, get behind things. Now you're creating this community of like-minded individuals who are put in the effort who then could go make a greater impact. Oh, I love that. And you know, you know, I look at you and there's been thousands of people that have opened CrossFit gyms mm-hmm. and some of them have been amazing athletes, but you're the, like the rare exception that is truly an entrepreneur. And, I, and I'd love for you to just kind of share with us like some of the things that have been created since opening that gym. Yeah. So we opened up our first gym in 2008. We signed a um, six month lease on like a thousand square foot space, pretty small. And we outgrew it, which was, which was the plan from the beginning. We opened up a second location, third location, learn a lot about staff, right? Identifying the right people to take this on and recognizing that just because you're a good coach doesn't make you a good manager. Just because you're a good coach doesn't mean you want to have anything to do with understanding the numbers of a business. And that was tough in the beginning because I had this nice blend of learning how to be a coach, but also then having a mentor, business mentors who helped me learn that when you open a business, it's not just, you can't just be a great coach. You have to understand there's more facets to it. So over time, we created relationships within expanding a corporate wellness. So that helped us go from like, I think at the time we had like four locations to like 20 or, or so because of corporate wellness. And we started off just like knocking on doors, doing 5 a.m. classes at a few local companies, which then spawned a bigger relationship with Western Digital in particular. We then got Twitter and GoPro, and now we're in Lucasfilms uh, for their corporate uh, wellness locations. Dude, um, when you say we, who else is involved in this? Do you have our, other partners? or No, our whole team. Yeah. I mean, like when I think about, I mean, our business would be nothing if it wasn't for our entire team. I think people say that, but I really mean it. Like uh, I'm a terrible manager. I just, I don't know how to appropriately set expectations, do all kinds of stuff. I just want to go out there and just do me and 
lead, you know, try and lead from the front and, and, and seek new opportunities and innovate. But we have a team of people who are really good at everything else. Gotcha. And so as we open up these new doors of corporate wellness, um, it, it allowed us to self-fund our growth. So when we first started the company, I self-funded the growth by working seminars for CrossFit. So what I would do is I would work seminars on the weekends for CrossFit, got paid relatively well, traveled a lot, but for the next couple of years, I was able to take that money and live off it. And then any money the gym made, I would self-fund new growth. So that was a very, that was a lucky, I got lucky. And then I had sponsorships from competing that also helped me fund it all again, you know, hard work, but a lot of luck too. What was the best sponsorship you had? I'm always curious what you guys, how you guys were able to do with that. I mean, I think, I mean, Reebok from a financial perspective was the biggest. Can you share me. what that was or is that? I mean, uh, there's um, been time, I mean, you know, a uh, couple, couple hundreds of thousands. Of, <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah. On an annual basis. Right. Dude. So, yeah. So, I mean, there was, there's been in the past, right. It's legit by the way. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, uh, maybe at my height in just sponsorships, I mean, you're talking, you know, hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, there are definitely guys now who are in the seven figure. I never made it to seven figure in, 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 uh, in sponsorships. Uh, but there's guys, but it represents a very small fraction of the top. So the way it works, is like, there's probably like 30 people in CrossFit that make six figures. I'd say. 30, maybe more. And I'm talking off sponsorships. Yeah. Maybe more, maybe 30 to 40. Then there's a few people who make like half a million or more. Yeah. There, there's, there's some people that do really well. Yeah. But so anyways, the, yeah, sponsor, yeah, yeah. the sponsorships, just, the, the seminars, they help. That was for all my CrossFit buddies out there who yeah, were curious who, too. Who were curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. So sponsorships, uh, seminars helped lead the growth. Then the corporate wellness again was a cash flow opportunity that then helped again, uh, grow the business as well. And then what happened was we had like, at that point, probably about 20 something locations. We started saying, man, how do we keep consistency across all these? We're having a really difficult time because we would do Google docs and we'd have all these calls and it was just a mess. And so we were just providing the workout, but what we really needed to do is provide a roadmap. And so we created our own app for our coaches designed for us where every day they see a coach video on how to coach they have their intro, timeline, stimulus, warm up, you name it. It is literally like Starbucks, right? Where our goal was to create guardrails. So you might not have the best experience, but you're not going to have the worst experience. If there's a better coach or worse, worse coach, of course, that will be portrayed in their class. But I wanted to create guardrails so that they weren't way off the rocker, yep. right? It's like a latte here and a latte and whatever are going to be relatively the same as Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. Might have a better barista, but they're going to be similar. So anyways, um, we created that. And so we created it for ourselves and it was great. And then we started saying, man, why don't we sell this to other gym owners? So at this point, we have about a thousand gyms that use our programs. That's a big digital revenue stream for our company wow. that was created over the last couple of years. So you have corporate wellness, you have our brick and mortar, you have this B2B, you know, kind of concept. But what we never really thought about was like the total available market. And I wish as a entrepreneur, I would have sat back and said before any opportunity, what is the total available market? What's, what's success really here? So there's about 10,000 CrossFit strength conditioning gyms and we have a thousand of them. What is the opportunity? Maybe we get more, but there's millions and millions of people that we're not impacting right now. And so our current step is we just wrote out a new NC fit app and that is for the end user. We've already had another one, but it was never a focus for the company. Now 
as you heard me say earlier, the goal is do I love for a living, provide as many people that impact more people. Well, not everybody can go to our gyms. So how do we impact people all over the world? And that's through our new NC Fit app. And so that's the newest initiative for the company and one that I'm very excited about. Awesome. And we'll, we'll share all this stuff in the show notes, but can you give us a little bit of, uh, I'm imagining a lot of it is based around some uh, home workouts and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, we've already had, we, we have the proven brick and mortar. We've been in the trenches for a decade plus. How do we take that coaching and bring it to someone who's maybe at the gym by themselves in the garage, like your gym and provide them a premium experience? Well, this new app, I, I'm, we're really proud of it. So I'm, 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 I'm obviously um, biased of course, but <laughs> you get, da- you get daily workout options with short videos to tell you what to do. So let's just say a guy like you, Hey, you just want some motivation. Today's workout is X. Here's your warm up. Watch a two to three minute video explaining maybe like a, Hey, on today, try and focus on this on whatever, right? It's just like a snapshot. Then you go out, you, we have custom integrated music. You could play the music and you Ooh. go do your thing, right? That's option A. Option B is where we're kind of taking on, you know, the, 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 the on-demand content is pretty popular right now through Peloton and others. We are bringing the functional training version of that. And so we signed a partnership with Fit Radio where we can now have, one of the problems we had is we would create this on-demand workout, but you'd have like generic music in the background. So it'd be like me doing a workout, 45 minutes long, 30 minutes long, whatever it is with like do, 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 do on the background, right? Cause you can't have- uh, oh, for licensing? Copyright, yeah. Yeah. So I said, dude, what are we gonna do? So we signed a deal with Fit Radio. So what happens is you have two separate audio tracks, which again, I'm really proud of. So I'm just sharing this at a high level. You have your video audio track where your coach is taking you through the workout on demand. You have your music track where you could pick whatever music you want. And then you could gauge how loud or how soft each one is. So for people with a TV in their garage gym, they could mirror it there. Or you could put on your iPad or put on your phone. But we are, in my opinion, industry leading for functional training at home through this new app. Dude, and when did this get released? This week, so. Oh, come on. Yeah, uh, or actually, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, it released on Monday. No shit. Yeah, yeah, so we're we're fired up for it, man. Dude, that's awesome. So how are you getting this out to the people? Uh, right here, yeah. um, aside from this. No, um, obviously social uh, through collaborative partnerships and um, social partnerships, uh, you know, influencers that we feel like align with our brand and where we're going. And um the, the, that's the initial start. What's your, what, if, if you had to say, Hey, you know, I'd love to get the, this many users by year end. Is there a number? The original goal was a thousand users within a month, right? That was the original goal, uh, which that will be surpassed. Um, I don't, uh, after the next 30 days, I'll come back to you with the goal yeah, and just- I'll, I'll say, with, I'll share with you why I want to start doing a better job, setting realistic expectations for our team and celebrating them more. Uh, we do a terrible job of celebrating when we do wins. We would work on contracts, these companies for months and months and months. By the time you actually get it, and I'm sure you've felt this before in business, you're so burnt. They're just like, oh, hey, that deal got signed today. You know, it's like, yeah, dude. Deal fatigue. Deal fatigue, right? Yeah. And so what I want to be able to do is after 30 days, evaluate, hey, our goal is 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. Set the, set the timeline and then actually create tangible things that we're going to do when we hit those numbers, because otherwise we'll never do them. Mm. There's always a reason not to like, I I don't know, maybe that's just our culture, but it's always like, we want more. We want to strive better. We want to improve the product. We want to, and then at that point, you're never actually celebrating these small wins. 
you're always looking ahead. You're never in the present moment of your right celebrating of like, look at what, like, look at what we've done. Yeah. Holy shit. We definitely need to do a better job of that. Yeah. Good for you. And so how long did it take to get to this past Monday? Like how long is that to get the, the, this app working for the end user? Years. So we, we had some developers on our old app and that we already had the athlete version. We then found new developers like a year and a half ago. And so those have been the great partners, but it took us years and years and years to kind of like develop the, the content strategy we have now, right. Where we, we film every week. We have, I mean, we have four new workouts every day, 365. We have an on-demand library that's super robust. We have a movement library that has hundreds and hundreds of movements in it. So all of this filming has been occurring through COVID and even before that. And so it's taken us a long time. And so that's why this is a big week. It's, it's app launch week, you know, uh, and this is the end of it. That's know? awesome. Well, yeah. I'm stoked to have you on here. So yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess maybe in closing, I'd love to see kind of what else, two, two things, what else is alive for you right now? And I know that I'd love to hear you talk about um, the jujitsu stuff in, oh, yeah. in the grappling. Um, but what is, what does the next five or 10 years look like for you? What is it? What feels, what feels good? You know, it, what feels good is, is being in the right mindset and right physically positioned for my kids to be the best, you know, husband, father I could be like that, that feels good, right? It feels good to have a team around me and a business that we really feel prideful in. And those are things I want to lean more into, right? Is how do we attract more people to our brand of NC fit to get in great workouts, to impact their life? Yes, there's a business case for it. Do we want to create profitability? Of course, but it needs to be deeper than that. And it is. That's the reason why I got into fitness space. You know, like I started working in the fitness business when I was 15. And so 20 years, it's all I know. And I just want to share with more people. So it's doing more of that. And it's spending really good quality time with my kids at this age. Cause it's a really fun age, like seven and 10. My son's playing baseball. My daughter's really into like baking and artistic stuff. I actually have today's Friday on Sunday, we have a, a cook-off and hmm. I'm actually pretty um, worried about this because she's a really good baker. <laughs> she's a really good baker. And so um, we're having a cook-off on who can make the best, uh, not cinnamon bread. Yeah. Cinnamon bread or, or cinnamon muffin, something like that. It's it, I, cinnamon I it, roll. Cause that's, there's a degree of difficulty there. Yeah. I, I wrote it I down in my notes to, on that. the way home. I got a YouTube, a bunch of stuff so I could bring the heat on Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, but it's doing more of that, right. Um, being present, focused for them, uh, really trying to create a strong relationships that when, when they do get into high school and it becomes a little bit more challenging, right. Because their emotions are high, whatever, we can lean back on this relationship that we've been developing over a lot of, a lot of years. So, um, yeah, I'd say that, you know, expand our level of fitness to more people and continue to try and, you know, elevate our, my relationship with my kids. And, you know, I, I think things should go with my wife, but you know, yeah. keep, keep what's, what's going to, what's going to keep you from strengthening and deepening the relationship with your kids and your wife at, at this point, you know, if you had asked me when I was competing in CrossFit, it would have been that. Okay, right. So, I'm asking so you I was now. so focused. <laughs> yeah. I was so focused on winning, right. That other areas of my life started to take, take back seat. Um, I would say now there, there, there shouldn't be anything is I guess the answer, right? Because well, what may creep into that CrossFit type space where, you know, look again, you're, you're a high achiever, you're a hard charger. There, there are going to be times 
when unconsciously these things creep in. So if we're, the reason I ask is because I still battle that stuff. You know, I wake up one day, I was like, fuck, I'm just like not quite here. What is it? Oh, I just got pulled in this direction. I yeah. got two wrapped around some business deals. Okay, that's the thing I need to be aware of because it'll sneak in and won't allow me to show up for my wife and my kids in a way that I really want to, like you're talking about. Yeah, I think for me, um, I could totally see how that's the case. What I try and do is I try and have these reoccurring, um, just asking myself like a really simple question. This could be in the morning. Well, I get up before the rest of the family. I'm pouring myself a cup of coffee before I dive into emails or whatever else I'm doing. I just try and like, say like, Hey, you know, obviously what are the intentions for the day, but how did I do yesterday or, or even at night before you go to bed, how am I doing as a husband, a father and a business owner? Right. Because like, those are ways that I identify with myself, right? Like a friend, husband, father, and like this, this business, because it is important to recognize that it is a part of you, but it's not the whole you, right? It's just a piece of who you are, but you want to make sure that you're trying to lead the business in the right direction. Cause you have real lives with real financial impacts if you aren't doing a good job. So how, how can I do that? How am I doing as a husband? If we have regular check-ins, then I don't feel like you ever have these aha moments. And that was something I think that I started realizing when I was competing is that I wasn't doing enough micro check-ins. I would just have like these epiphanies every like six months. I'm like, oh shit. You know? <laughs> I get that. Yeah. yeah. Like, dude, I've been on the road for months. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working out four times a day. I need to, I need to, to tone it back. But instead, if you can have these micro check-ins on a reoccurring basis, then you never have those like giant epiphanies. So that's something that's been really helpful for me. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's a, a great practice. Um, say when you're swimming in the ocean, uh, and you're doing like every, every four to six strokes, you give like a little look and just ensure that you're on the right path based on where you're at versus you're swimming, 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 and you just head down, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, next thing you know, you're kind of really off target. And then you have to work really hard to get back on target. I've never said that before, but now that I'm thinking about it, it does make sense. Uh, like, like every couple strokes, you're just looking up, okay, I'm still on target. If you're a little bit off target, you could do some micro adjustments to get back on target. But if you wait too long to have those kind of like reflections, you're in a lot of trouble. And that could be in your sauna, your cold plunge. Those are opportunities that I've used in the past to kind of just have those like quick, literally it could be like a 30 second check-in. Yeah, that's great. And uh, my friends listening now, the friends who really know me are going to laugh at your analogy about swimming in the ocean because they know I can't really swim. So <laughs> that was fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, per that no, one worked. I get the analogy, but they're going to think it's funny that you use that with me. It's like, yeah. fuck, I'm not swimming in a pool, let alone an ocean. Um, that's awesome. So tell me real briefly about uh, the jujitsu stuff. So, you know, when I found CrossFit, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is the case with you too. One of the things I fell in love with was the complexity of movement. So at the time, you know, you, I was doing Muay Thai, which definitely has some complexity, but I was doing a lot of bodybuilding type stuff. And there's not that much complexity with it. It's like, yeah, you could isolate and you could do better and worse, but it's not as complex as the snatch, the clean and jerk, a muscle up, et cetera. So when I found CrossFit and I found these movements, it was very inspiring because I got to learn and I felt like I was making progress really quickly. Well, after being CrossFit for so long, some of that starts to go away a little bit where, you know, either you're looking at more as a fitness regimen, but you're no longer looking at it as like, oh, I'm trying to achieve my first muscle up. After like 10 years, you either kind of maybe kind of pivot and, and it's no longer a goal, or you could already do them very proficiently. So you're kind of good. With jujitsu, 
it filled that void for me where for so many years I was learning these complex skills, but at some point I got pretty good at most of them, right? You could always get a little bit better, sure. but I'm not going to make huge gains on my handstand walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I practiced it for so long that it is what it is. Whereas in jujitsu, when I first found it, it was so compelling to me because it just rocked my world. There's so much to learn. There's so much technical competency that you have to develop. And there's always something to learn, but it, it made me feel like a beginner again. And it made me feel like there's always like a path that I could learn new skills on, which is very rewarding. So that's why I love it. It's like playing chess and it allows you to be very present, very focused. And if you're not, you're going to get choked. So unlike anything else I've ever done in my life, jujitsu, you probably have to be more focused than anything because you have this partner who's providing feedback. So not only do you have to be willing to have a dynamic situation that you're not in control of, but you also have to be willing to be super focused and not worry about your emails, your business or anything else. And that's a great lesson to learn because when you get off the mat, you can then take that in other areas. Beautiful. Beautiful. Anything else you'd like to share with the the listeners today? Uh, I mean, it's launch week. So if you go to, uh, it's currently on iTunes. So if you go to NC fit that there's two of them, there's NC fit and there's NC fit for coaches. 99% of people probably listening just need to go to NC fit. Yeah. Don't worry about the one for coaches. That's going to be for uh, just the gym owners. One I spoke about earlier. Yeah. So I'd love, uh, I'd love for them to check it out. And yeah, I mean, no, I, I just really, I really appreciate being here. This is a really, really cool spot. You have a beautiful house. Thank you. Thanks. It's been great having you here. And where can people find you? Um, on Instagram, Jason Klepa. You could also follow nc.fit on Instagram. Um, and, you know, you could just Google. There's some, yeah. you know, jasonklepa.com. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to watch an amazing uh, yeah, uh, movie of Jason's win in 2008, Every Second Counts is on Netflix, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. It I is. used to I, own the original DVD. Dude, the, the, Every Second Counts is funny because they follow along all these athletes. They know nothing about me. Nothing. And at the end, they use footage that like, my wife or my dad took to fill in the blanks. Right. Cause like yeah. they didn't have any footage of me winning the event. Yeah. <laughs> that that is it. a good event. That's a good movie. Yeah. It's fun. They did a great job with it. Well, awesome brother. Uh, glad you're here in Austin. And next time you come, we'll get to work on the bunker together. Dude, let's do it, man. I'm i uh, I'm fired up. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to the great unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.